0: Gold, dark, Long Island, 3 a.m., 1974. Eight shots echo through the night. Six family members lay face down, dead in their beds. We're covering this tragedy because I know what it is like to have a close family member murdered. However, in this case, the only surviving family member is the accused. The DeFeo Family Murders, also known as the Amityville Horror, the truth behind the legend, tonight on Midnight Radio.
1: First this Bulletin from the W.O.R. Newsroom. Six members of one family have been found shot to death in their nightclothes in their expensive home in Amityville, Long Island. The only available information at this moment, according to the Amityville Village Police, is that the the victims have been identified as members of the DeFeo family. Today, police combed the DeFeo's handsome three-story house for clues while divers explored the backyard swimming pool for
2: the still-unfound murder weapon. Police have been questioning the son, Ronald, and now say he is being, quote, safeguarded. Investigators say, without explanation, that they now feel Young DeFeo was in the house at the time of the murders, but they're not yet considering him a suspect.
0: And so we forth.
1: have no suspect at this time. Is we really... have no indication of the motive. What about Ronald DeFeo, uh, the, the son?
0: The Ronald is
1: being safeguarded by the Suffolk, Suffolk County Police at this time. Why? why? Because the six members of the family dead, and we don't know why, and he's the sole remaining member. He's also...
0: Tonight with us, we have Rick Asuna. He is the writer of the book, The Night the DeFeos Died. He's considered the premier authority, as far as I'm concerned, and many others. He is the premier authority on the Amityville Horror, or specifically, the DeFeo Murder. Thank you for coming and talking with me tonight, Rick.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: When I was five years old, Rick, I um, my parents let me watch the Amityville Horror. I was five years old, and it, it messed me up. But uh, <laughs> that's too that's too young to watch this. I would close my eyes, and I would see the red room. And I don't know why oh, that wow. scared me. Yeah, the, it was a red. Actually, I'm sitting in a red room right now, but I was five. It horrified me. And when I would close my eyes. I, I, I think I also saw the Amityville Horror 2 and the part where uh, the character that plays the Butch defeo like character is going up the stairs and his face turns into the face of a pig. And I'm again I yeah. was five years old, I closed my eyes and that terrified the crap the crap out of me. But I was never interested in the Amityville horror except for or the story or the murder except for one issue that plagued me even when I was five years old and that is the way they died the way the bodies were found more than a haunted house it ate at my the logic in my mind that one person could have committed that and your book which is a fantastic book by the way and um thank you i'm very impressed with it And I've looked at some of your other writings pertaining to the book. You have a very ordered logical way, even before you start writing the book of how you pre plot, not plot, but pre plan your book, but uh, it's a very good book. I recommend it to everybody. You are the man to answer this
1: question. So
2: your your background or how you got interested is very similar to how I got interested in the case. I was very young. Um, I remember the Amityville Horror book, and and my mother and sister were were reading it, and uh, and uh, you know I was intrigued by this the the eye like windows of the house and you know the the scary looking cover and. It was a big deal back then, you know. I remember it was 1979, the movie came out, and, you know, my cousins and the uncles and everybody, you know, went to go see the movie. We'd never done that before. And, um, you know, all the little cousins who were like five, six, seven, we were all
1: scared,
2: (laughs) but it was entertaining, you know. And then, um, like you, I'd always wondered, you know, I I was more interested in the murders and the haunted house stuff and eventually, I started um, a website around the murders, and lo and behold, you know, people connected with, connected with the case started reaching out to me, and uh, we started talking. And that's how I got involved early on into, you know, more detailed research. And, you know, there, there were always elements to this story that, you know, begged the question of, wait, you know, two and two, you know, they're not adding up. And, you know, the way that the bodies were positioned, uh, you know, the stories go that everyone slept through the the gunfire, nobody awoke. And the reality is um, that's not the truth. I mean, the murder weapon, there were multiple guns involved, but the main murder weapon was a .35 Marlin, and that is a cowboy gun. It is... Deafening, I mean you have to have ear protection, let alone a you know small colonial you know house you know everybody everybody in the neighborhood is going to hear that so during the course of my research, you know I learned that the neighbors. Uh, next door at the time, the Ireland had actually heard the, the gunshots, but didn't, you know, didn't think much of it. And, and you have to understand context. The DeFeos were, they weren't pretty much, you know, your typical Amityville family.
0: They were more like they, the Sopranos, um, weren't they? They were what? They were more like the Sopranos.
2: You know, the father was, I would say. and And, you know, with, Some of the happenings with the oldest son, Butch DeFeo, um, you know, I I definitely think that there was, there was that element around the household. Um, And, you know, the the father had shown, you know, him, he would pack uh, a gun, he would carry a gun, he'd show some neighbors at some friends. Um, He was, he was a braggart that he was connected to the mob. And, you know, he would be doing some strange stuff where you would hear, you know, acts of violence in the house, and he would come out in his underwear and pray in front of Catholic statues in the house or in front of the house, in the front yard. So, you know, the neighborhood, you know, already knew that the DeFeo family, you know, they, they weren't necessarily your, your typical family. Now, that's not to say— that the children and, you know, the family wasn't really well liked. There there were friends, and this was a shock to the neighborhood that this happened. Back in 1974, this type of stuff didn't happen. So um, it it was very much chilling. In terms of how the bodies were found, uh, Gerard Sullivan, during a closed courtroom hearing where the defense's lead detective who was a former New York City police supervising detective, Herman Race, testified in a closed courtroom um, that there were multiple guns involved, multiple gunmen. And basically, you know, the prosecutor said that, yeah, you know, that doesn't really matter. We're not disagreeing. But at the end of the day, they want to proceed forward with prosecuting the only surviving member of the fails, and that was Butch DeFeo.
0: Absolutely. And
2: that's not to say uh, Butch DeFeo was not involved. He was definitely involved in the crimes, but it was, it was different than the way the police were reporting.
0: His involvement was a major part of the case. The prosecutor, at the end, he said that Butch was involved and probably others were involved, but Butch wasn't telling us. I talked to some neighbors there in long Island in Amityville and I didn't notice it at first, but they have a less, I'm not sure what you'd call it, but a healthy respect of the mob. Yeah. I know you spent some time down there and you spent some time talking with Geraldine, which we're going to get into, which almost brings you actually into this story. And, and open some things up in ways that never have been before they don't talk about the mafia the police that would be a whole nother a whole nother show if you and I talked about the police there in in that county. <laughs> I'm not sure how involved the mob was into the way the police handled this, but it was. Whether he was guilty or not, there was railroading and evidence was covered up. And was he involved? Yes. And it was just easier to turn their back on everything else.
2: Yeah, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. They're, they're, back in those days, the Suffolk County Police Department, specifically the Homicide Squad, their confession rate was around 96 percent. And that, you know, on the surface is suspicious. But when you compare it to somewhere like Brooklyn, where, you know, the confession rate was around 40 percent, something's going on. So around the mid 80s, a judge in Suffolk County requested the New York state of commission of investigation to come in and investigate the county because he found some, you know, improprietaries and things that were going on with the homicide squad in terms of testimony and fabricated evidence. And they came in and did a three year investigation and found that the homicide squad, many of the same folks that investigated the DeFeo murders had railroaded people, had planted evidence, had beaten confessions out of people so, the entire squad was asked to resign or get fired. You know, even the DA at that point didn't even seek re election. So, it was a big black eye for Suffolk County. And of course, you know, the DeFeo murders happened, you know, I would say a, a few years before that, of course, but it was many of the same people who were determined that they weren't the, the proper investigators that they should have been. And that helped spawn the Amityville horror stories because you have to understand that there was a deeper connection than just a son going around murdering his family. Um, there was, of course, turmoil in the house. It was dysfunctional. The father's abuse was out of control. The two oldest kids wanted to get out, and they were willing to do anything. And, you know, a night of murder happened. Uh, it was not necessarily preplanned. And what I would say afterwards is, if the police had just simply done their job, investigated the crime, and it would not have been terribly hard to do, um, what would have happened is Butch DeFeo probably would have gotten back in those days um, a lighter sentence, more of manslaughter rather than you know second degree murder and you know six sentences to run concurrent, different days, right? So, but what happened is during the trial. Butch DeFeo could not get, or his defense could not get access to a lot of the same documentation the prosecutor had. You know, up until even a 60 day adjournment was requested when the documentation did arrive and it got, you know, denied. So they came up with some stories around, you know, feelings and vibes and hearing things and presences in the house. And that started the Amlieville Horror.
0: I have a psychologist I work with and we have the hindsight of many years have passed since Amityville horror and most if not all the players have since passed on. So really, uh, we're delving into legend here, but there's been many other children have killed their parents. Matter of fact, I believe Malcolm X, this came up in the research, Malcolm X's grandson, no Malcolm X's son, was living with his grandmother caught the house on fire to kill everybody and his grandmother was hurt very badly so we have a history of of children killing their parents which is horrible but the psychopathy of that some of surrounding that is the immature child brain not seeing that there'll ever be a way to get out of your situations and not seeing the consequence of your own actions and committing parent murder to mix drugs in with that. And if they've been doing drugs for any amount of time, they have an immature brain and uh, immature ways of dealing with emotions. I believe that played a big part into the murders
1: i would I would definitely agree you know drugs played a part
2: in it you know, immature mind desperation um to be free absolutely abuse abuse yes the the abuse was was just out of control, and it was you know hours before the murder started you know there it was a, it was an evening of abuse at, at the hands of the father and so you know, so and you have to understand that uh, of course you know there were events leading up to, to the murders as well where, you know, the father was involved in, in, you know, some of the family business that the mob and so forth, and he had been healing from the mob and, so, you know, it was catching up to him. So he was, he was getting nervous. So it, it was just, it was a culmination of stress and abuse and, you know, the dysfunctionality.
0: Absolutely. I did a little more investigation into the particular operation they had there, and uh, it looked like the whole point of the of the dealership was to
1: wash money for the mafia. I was to in my investigation. I
2: talked to talked to many people, and yes, that that is was what I found out, too. They did. They not only washed the, the, the funds for the it was, a, it was a money laundering operation, but they also did, you know, it was a chop shop on the side as well. And so they did some, they had their hands in everything.
0: They got rid of some bodies if they needed to, car or otherwise. Yeah. And um, Big Ronnie, he, I mean, he doesn't look like an accountant, but pretty much that's what he was more than he was a,
1: Service manager. They uh, he he was in charge of the books uh, for the dealership, and um,
2: you know, and it was uh, apparently he was pretty good at it. Um, he, you know being money off. Uh, and, but, you know, there and it adds up, and uh, so he uh, he called it books out because the money had to disappear. Uh, they couldn't obviously, you know show when you're doing money laundry, you have to obviously hide the money and he was he was pretty good at it is my understanding.
0: I want to talk about we have the official story of what happened and it everybody involved it behooved him just to say, okay, Butch did it all, let's wash our hands of this. Of course evidence pointed to other things. And Butch himself, um how did he characterize Butch? He wasn't an angel, let's put it that way. So that didn't help anything. Right. And he gave his two, he gave two different versions of it. But before I, we talk about that, I want to ask you this quick one about big Ronnie. Is it true or in your investigation that he stole money from the mafia?
1: Um, uh,
2: in my research, yes, that was, that is what I, found when I was talking to people. It was nervous um, that uh, people knew Brigante, which he worked for his father-in-law, I and mean, his father-in-law loved
1: his daughter, but, uh, you know, instead of having to deal with and confront um, Big Ronnie, you know, the father-in-law
2: was just going to close down the dealership. Besides, you know, the, I guess you'd say... The, uh, it was getting a little hot and a little discomforting in, in multiple ways in one, but rather than confronting his son-in-law, he was just going to close down the dealership. Um, of course, the murders happened before he got the opportunity to do that.
0: In his interview, Butch had a lot to say about closing down the dealership as a way of kind of washing out the books and washing out people who had interest in uh, getting money from the dealership.
1: So, yeah, um, that is right. So his, well, we'll get back into that. <laughs>
0: I was going to ask about Butch's grandfather. Did he really order a hit on Big Ronnie?
1: You know that I I would say. Not you know, not that it was carried
0: out but not that it was carried out and Ronnie Butch, he didn't do it in the way it was supposed to have happened if it was.
2: Yeah. You know, it, it, if Briganti wanted big Ronnie dead, well, I shouldn't say wanted if Briganti, the father-in-law wanted his son-in-law, big Ronnie dead, it would have been, it would have been all too easy. And, and hence, If that had happened, the family, the rest of the family probably would have survived. Um, And I'm convinced of that. Talking to the people who knew, who knew the family, who knew the story and knew what was going on. But because, you know, Brigante loved his daughter so much and his daughter was in love with her husband. He he protected the son-in-law probably more so than he should have. And in the end... It was Big Ronnie who led the entire family down this road to disaster because of the abuse and him being out of control and just the craziness and dysfunctionality.
0: His wife was in love with her husband, her family, her life. Her father, he really had a soft spot
1: for her, and because of her, it
0: probably took more from Big Ronnie than he would have anybody else.
1: Oh yeah. Definitely. So
0: I agree with you that so we have the mob in the story, but we don't have the mob that did the story.
2: No, they now I will tell you that they actually moved the arraignment to the chapel of the court because they were afraid that there was going to be a hit on Butch. What the you know, organized crime elements were concerned with is Butch would rat out people for a deal. And he had to get word to his grandfather that, one, the books that his father kept, Butch destroyed him, and two, that he wasn't going to rat out everything. And Briganti had to pull all his strings and favors to make sure that his, his grandson was not killed. So was the mob involved in the murders? Absolutely not. Um, they, don't, they don't kill families like this. Um, but they were very interested in making sure that Butch didn't talk. And after there was, um, I guess you'd say, assurance that Butch wasn't going to talk and the evidence was nowhere to be found, that the cops weren't going to stumble on something in their investigation, then, you know, there wasn't a hit put on Butch anymore.
0: And that's when he got financial backing from his grandfather.
2: Yeah, his grandfather paid for most of the lawyers he, he went through. And then eventually, after Butch just kept firing them, his grandfather said, You're going to have to use a public defender. And that's when William Weber entered the picture.
1: All right. So let's talk about Butch's, not his confession what he actually
0: says he did. I got two different versions of it. One version of it is in your book and correct me if I'm wrong. That's the version where he had Bobby Kelsky was involved more in the, when he talked to you, he told you that he, Don and Bobby Kelsky were in the parents' room. He shot big Ronnie after he was calling them names and big Ronnie charged at him. He shot him. I believe he said he shot him twice in that interview. And then he said he shot the mother and then Bobby Kelsky finished her off. And then of course, uh, you had another friend was downstairs as a lookout in a car and he left Don and Bobby. He went out to get Bobby, and Bobby came back while he was gone, and Bobby and Don killed the children.
2: No, Bobby didn't kill the children. Um, or he helped. Or at least there's, been, there's no evidence of, of that. I
1: mean, what I would say is Butch went out. Bobby fired a shot, and, um, and
2: I think Bobby regretted that. And, and, you know, this is what Butch has told me, what Geraldine has told me based on research and so forth. And, you know, um, Butch took off after Bobby because Bobby left. He, I think he freaked out after, you know, the father had died. Don was supposed to take the kids to their grandparents' house in Brooklyn, uh, the Brigantes. And Butch came back after he couldn't find Bobby and he found the kids dead. He confronted Dawn. And Dawn admitted that she had killed the kids, according to Butch. And um, what he told me, what he told Geraldine. So it's uh, it, it, that's when they, they, they fought and wrestled, and, and Butch wound up
1: killing her as well.
0: There's one thing I noticed about the photographs of the crime scene. In regards to his sister, Dawn, and this was in the book and Butch told us to you about the cleanup of the house afterwards. And one of the things I talked about was cleaning up the headboard, her headboard. And in the photograph, you can see the headboard's clean. Yeah. Why, why would they clean the headboard in Dawn's room?
1: So, uh, what I could say is in terms of the cleanup, he did get Bobby to come back to help. And they cleaned the entire house. And there are crime scene photos of rags
2: on the stairs and things like that. So, they did a horrible job. But they were trying to stage the bodies. They even put Big Ronnie back in bed. Because Big Ronnie may have been shot in bed initially, but he got up and charged them. And that, uh, you know...
1: and and so basically they had to put him back in bed, and Butch couldn't have done that by himself. They wanted to stage the scene to make it look like, you know, the purported mob hit where it was an execution style
2: or or a burglary or a robbery gone wrong. And uh, so they basically did it, and that's why, you know, even though during his opening statement Gerard Sullivan said, to, you know, the courtroom jury that, hey, you know, you may find out that not all the bodies were necessary in bed, um, even though they were found in bed. So, you know, there's even bloodstains on the floor and carpet. Why they cleaned up the headboard, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's thinking logical at that point. I mean, can you imagine? Well, I don't know if anybody can imagine in their right mind, right? But. You just, your entire family's gone. You're, you're probably the only one left responsible for the crime and knowing that you're going to potentially get caught. Because I, I, I can't believe that Butch thought he was just going to get away with this. Um, I think he was just in such shock that, uh, you know, and rightfully so, that all these people, I mean, and, and he loved his brothers and sisters. So they're all gone. You know, it's just, it's a horrible thing.
0: Just looked up at the clock. We're almost out of time. There's a lot more questions I have for you, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, ask about Geraldine. Um, sure. And there's, there's a lot more to, to her for, so I talked to the, um, the neighbor there in uh, Amityville and they knew Geraldine mm-hmm. and everybody has nothing but respect for her there. Um, and that was, you know, that was interesting. Um, Geraldine verified something I noticed in your book, and that was the actual meeting with Weber and the Lutzes in the bar. And she was actually able yes, to so talk with to- you about that.
2: Oh, yeah, she, um, she had nothing... She had nothing nice to say about the Lutzes or, or Weber. She was just... And she wanted no part of it. She met originally to help Butch, but when it started going off into this whole hoax thing, she's like, I, I don't want any part of this. Thank you. And she told Butch she wanted no part of it because it just wasn't right. Geraldine, I mean, we could do three shows on Geraldine. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's Geraldine is a fascinating individual. I, I mean, she wanted no money from the book. And you have to understand that almost, you know, at one point I was working with the History Channel since I had done so much research and everybody connected to this case wanted dollars to speak. When Geraldine reached out to me through my website, um, she originally uh, was not gonna be very kind to me because she thought I was trying to promote the hoax and all that. But that first week, we spent 40 hours on the phone. I mean, 40 hours. It was like eight hours a day, practically. We just started talking. And, and I tried so many times to catch this woman in a lie. Um, but she never wanted a dime for any any of the interviews or any of the time spent with me. I even, you know, she wanted nothing. She just All she said is, I just want to know the full truth. If he did it all, report it. If he didn't report it. She's like, I'll tell you everything I can remember. And, um, it was a, it was a journey for both of us because she had, she had put a lot of stuff away in the back of her mind. You know, she wanted to get past it. Um, but I think after all those years, it was still haunting her. So we kind of began that journey together.
0: In the book, you talk about Geraldine a little bit, there's a lot more of the story with Geraldine than got into this book. Do you plan on plan another book or how are you going to tell the rest of the story that you and Geraldine had? You guys had you some know, adventures yourself.
2: We did. We did. We, we've, we were threatened. We were chased. Um, it was, it was an interesting story. I, I am toying with the, you know, the, the whole 50th anniversary is coming up. So I may do a, a retrospective. Um I'm not sure yet um, it, everything I do is around it's respecting the family. They're all gone now, including Geraldine and Geraldine was my friend um, and you know I, I miss her because she was very, very blunt, she was very, very honest um she'd tell you she'd tell you how it was, and uh, it's kind of nice and refreshing to get that nowadays I think. There's a story there that definitely I would love to share with the, with the public. To me, the, the, the murders have already been told, but what went into the
1: book has not. So definitely potential for future.
0: Well, I hope you'll come back here and talk with us about it. You betcha. I really want to hear that part. I also want to ask you about the involvement of the Warrens, Everybody pretty much knows sure. the story on the outside.
1: I was, yeah, I was you know, paying the, attention to the language. Go ahead.
0: I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. I was paying attention to the language in your book. And uh, once you started talking about the, the Warrens before we even got into the why, it was
1: extremely skeptical.
2: You know, um,. I met the Warrens when I was at the History Channel. They, they they were very nice people. I became skeptical even before you know I got access to the true Defeo story. Let's say, you know, and and they would they took me down to their whole occult museum, and um, I think where I became skeptical was all these evil so-called haunted items were behind a simple rope and it was he was like don't go behind the rope you know and um that just kind of made me laugh and then Annabelle was in this plastic case and uh you know i i just i just had to shake my head saying okay so um it was a little hard to to believe the validity that all these things were so evil um and that's and that's fine you know that was their their belief but then i started You know, uh, and it's on my website, the interview, I I believe it's with Ray Garten, um, who worked with the Warrens and and told him when he was investigating one of the cases that the family he was investigating is not credible. And he was told to make up any story, make it scary. He's a writer. So I think there's a lot of sensationalism there in terms of Amityville. Uh, you know, they, they went around and showed this ghostly little boy photo uh, yes. that reportedly showed like a ghost little boy, you know, peeking his head out the the one of the rooms. I'll show that to and the viewers right
0: at, now. They're, the viewers are looking at
2: yeah, that. If right. you, oh, yeah. If you look at the photo and you look at all the photos, it's actually a researcher from that night who was on his knees and just peeked out of the, the bedroom door when there was no lights on. And I guess it was an infrared or black and white film mm-hmm. that, that caught him at the right time. It wasn't a ghostly little boy. It wasn't one of the DeFeos. It was just a researcher. And so, you know, it, it just seemed like there was a lot of tall tales that went around. And uh, so was the house haunted? no. Six people were murdered there, so was it happy energy? No, but there was no slimy walls. There was no, you know, presence, no, you know, nothing like that that was sensationalized by the Lutzes or the Warrens or Hollywood with the Amityville horror. Why did it happen to me? I don't really know. I do not
3: have the answers for that. played like, like places like
1: Amityville
3: that if you gave me one billion dollars I wouldn't go in the house again because it
1: messed up my life and my husband's life terrible horrible horrible place oh it's terrible
3: that it that's where I levitated with my body in that home and it's It was
2: the things that happened there were terrible. Uh, the, The true horror was human. You know, you had a father who was abusive, who should have protected his family, but instead he was the culmination and the direct result that destroyed his family. Murder and greed, you know, drug use. It was abuse, of course. So you didn't need demons and ghostly pigs and blood running down the walls. No, there, there was enough human evil that, uh, that originated in this case.
0: I want everybody to realize that before Rick started investigating, well, before, at the time he was contacted by George Lutz to work on a project with him, Rick was a true believer in this story.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely was, and, and let me just say, I'm not a
2: skeptic of the spirituality or the occult or anything like that. I have, I know there are things out there, and I know there are real parapsychologists, and there are, there are real, you know, psychic investigators that investigate things. I, I, I mean, I am, I am, uh, you know, I, I'm a Catholic myself, so I believe in the other side, and I believe in in the good side but I also know that there are going to be those that take advantage of those beliefs. And, and, um, I, I, you know, I had, I was always fascinated in this case. And to me, it didn't make sense why all the DeFeos were found face down in bed. Of course, after peeling back the layers, you find that they were, uh, they weren't executed. They, you know, <laughs> there was a more of a, a human reason for that—they weren't uh, executed in their beds, and they didn't like sleep through their own gunshots. No, um, nothing like that at all. But again, the Amityville horror is built on on that type of stuff. Um, so I, I caught George Lutz in many inconsistencies, um, and he told me one thing a couple times. Sorry, he told me this one sentence a couple times and it just finally clicked, and I just didn't really want anything to do with his projects, was he told me that, you know, setting the record straight wasn't as important as
1: making additional sequels.
2: And to me, it's like, okay, um, that just said a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I decided to part ways. And, and, And I parted ways not to go and, you know, create my own book, but, uh, you you had all this information now
0: you had a lot of information information at that time. Yeah. It was amazing. I saw your notes.
2: Yeah. I had a lot of information, but after I parted ways, you know, that's when I was contacted by Geraldine and it was like, it was very interesting because I was ready to put it to bed and just move on. But then, you know, she convinced me after that 40 hours of talking to her, but there was a story here that was deeper, and I was convinced to to find out, or at least expose her for being a liar, which I could never do. Um, I could never catch her in a lie, or an inconsistency with regards to the Defeos. So, um, you know, it was it was a fascinating, fascinating journey. Like I said,
0: was there a moment there where you had a moral crisis? You had all this information. You've been working. This case for a long time with your research, you start, you're a true believer, you start working with George Lutz and then you're like, well, damn it. There was a moment in time. You're like, this guy is a fraud.
2: Yeah. I, I think I had that moral crisis yeah. um, when I determined I didn't want anything, you know, anything to do with his projects because of the fact I just, I couldn't, I couldn't validate what he was saying and, and, and nor was he. Nor was he wanting to set the record straight. And then, as you know, of course, as I went down that road deeper, I found that this was a hoax, not a haunting. and so I mean, it it was a disappointment because I mean, I, I thought I thought, here was somebody who had actually a story that was true and it was an amazing story, but it turned out to be
0: false. That's something Um, that I want to, I want to put out there right now. And I want you to hear this and the other people listening. The true story behind this, the mob didn't do it, but the mob's involvement, uh, the devil being the fall guy, the patsy for the mob and the police and the prosecutor, this whole story together and you involved in it and Geraldine's involved in it is more interesting than the false narrative about Amityville that has ever been pushed before. This book is sensational. I don't feel like it has had the exposure that it truly deserves. I really would like you to do more with the rest of the story behind the scenes with you and Geraldine. And I don't know if you know this, Rick, but how many, this this is a quiz to you, you're the expert. How many Amityville movies, not complete, but just in the year 2021, did they make?
2: Oh my gosh, 2021 only. I think it was at least uh, one or two, um, because I know they they started making several movies over the last few years. No,
0: it wasn't one or two. It's more than that. How many would you say?
2: Don't tell me it's five.
0: <laughs> it's, over five it's over five, sir. It's over five, sir. Throw a number out there. It's
2: Oh, gosh.
0: Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Twenty-two
2: alone in 20, like 2021 they made?
0: Twenty-two just in 2021.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, I'm showing you the know, pictures so now. Because, you know, it, it's... The 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 Amityville murders. It's like The Sopranos meets Fortitude, and, and uh, you know, I, I I you know I don't know if people know what Fortitude is. It's that short run Amazon series, but it, it's it's so macabre and bizarre, and you know, there's so many elements that. You don't need to sensationalize it. It's just like, oh, my gosh, I can't. And it was different times. You know, it was the days where nothing was digital, of course. Everything was analog. So records could disappear. People could disappear. So, I mean, it's an amazing story.
1: And the thing that I always tell people is six people died to to basically –
2: to make this story on um, what it is. So it, it's their murders that give credence to anything Amityville related. Because if it was, if it was no murders involved, nobody would pay attention to the, the so-called haunted house stories. Nobody at all. It'd be like, eh, you know, so what? Family moved in and they moved out and they, they just couldn't pay their mortgage.
0: The human mind always wants the answer why. I look at this right. and I feel nothing but tragedy working on the story is nothing but a constant state of mourning for me.
2: Yeah, they're, they're always on my mind, especially when I do interviews and so forth. I would, you know, I would give it all back, give it all away. And, and so they could have the, especially the kids have their lives. Um, I wish this never happened, but the one thing I'm committed to, you know, is to keeping the truth out there so people don't forget, like yourselves, that the Defeos were real people. You know, and uh, you know this tragedy was senseless. But at the end of the day, there were there were no ghosts, no demonic pigs, nothing like that. This was just real, you know, human
0: tragedy. And for God's sakes, people, leave the leave Ocean Avenue alone. Give those neighbors some rest yeah. over there.
2: Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: Rick, I want to thank you for being on with us tonight. Rick Osoon is the author of "The Nights the Defeo Died." And what is your website, Rick?:
2: you. amityvillemurders.com.:
0: That's right amityvillemurders.com. Again, that's the night. I'm going to hold your book up right here. Actually, I'm holding it up right here, and I'll put a picture there too, The Night the Defeos died." Thank you very much, Rick. Thank you for your time. Thanks,
1: you, Gary. Thank you. Look forward to the next call. Thank you.:
0: Yes. All oh. right. This is the front entrance to 112 Ocean Avenue, and it was still 112. The year is 1974, November the 14th. This is the main stairs here. This is what would have been the dining room, more of a formal dining room. The informal dining room. This, These are the portraits, the oil paintings that Big Ronnie had commissioned for a sum of like $15,000 a piece. It was a lot of money. There's rumors that Mike Brigani paid for it. This is almost like a living room. Nice piano. Very expensive. Everything in this house is really expensive for a um, service manager at a car dealership. I, I can just see them having a lot of parties in here. Big Mike having people over. Like to give a shout out to the programmer that made this 3D walkthrough possible, that's Marine Candic. All credit goes to him for the modeling of the 3D. It's interposed I interposed it with real crime scene photos. The stairs he did a really good job with the flooring didn't he I just want to say that okay this is a bathroom has a heater in it it did it's a big heater for a small bathroom but then again it gets cold in New York That's something that makes me wonder about the Lut story, about him chopping firewood all the time and using it. You know, if you just moved in, you didn't have your gas turned on to the boiler? Yeah, that's what would have happened. The kids really hung out in the basement here. A lot, you can tell that. Now, this here is... It's a pool room. This is where Butch DeFeo and his sister Dawn and his friend hung out while they got the courage to initiate and talk about a murder of the parents. There was a lot going on that night. Some people called it a night of hell. I'm not saying they all were involved, but they all wanted the parents Big Ronnie, in particular, dead. Now this is going to lead us to, if I'm not mistaken, the Red Room. The proof that it really existed in a form.
2: My name is Patty Camarado.
3: I was friends with Alison Maseo, girl who was murdered with the rest of her family here in 1974. This I'm going to show you is the mysterious red room that's so noted for in the book. This door, which they say was never here, was here, is here, always will be here, I yes. suppose. This is the red room. Nothing more than a storage area where Allison and her brothers and I used to keep toys. Just red, you know? There's never any feeling of spirit presence or ghosts or any sort of thing like that. just... Play
0: area used to keep toys nothing more than that story is that Weber was the attorney for butch defeo and he got together with the Lutzes and he gave them information about the murders and he gave them the photos that I'm showing you right here and there's a photo later that actually was a drawing of the house and he showed them that and it had high hopes on it and that's where he knew the name of high hopes because it wasn't there when he moved in and he also with many bottles of wine and by the way Geraldine DeFeo verified this for me so I never believed Weber I thought he was just trying to get back at the Lutz but now it was verified that they did make it up and they planned on doing it Geraldine verified it that it was true. You can see the cleanup there with bleach, from some kind of blood on the floor. Matter of fact, the rags on the stairs—that that's what Ricassuna was talking about. This is the kitchen. This is where they ate. This is where the police were interviewing Butch DeFeo when they first got there, and they later moved him to the. Ireland's next door. By the way, the Ireland family are the ones that built this house, and the year was 1924. Look at the kitchen. She, Louise, she cooked in there every night, you can tell. These were actual dishes still there in the sink. Again, Marine Candick, he did a fantastic job this 3D modeling. The Fales had a TV in every room. Not bad for a service manager, 1974. Back to the dining room. We're going up the stairs, past the family portrait oil paintings that Mike Brigante paid for heard different stories about that and we're going into the family's rooms where the murders took place that night of hell November 13th this is where yeah this is where the demon boy picture came from I'll let you decide whether it was a demon boy they said it just happened in one frame kind of a sitting room right here. is the sign that is what Weber showed the Lutz right there is where there was blood on the floor there was evidence that Big Ronnie was shot outside of his room right there at the opening of the door the bodies are not there I'm not going to show the bodies but I asked Rick and he said he believes that Butch was Butch and Don were there they were yelling they were yelling at the father, and he he got up, started charging him, they shot him, and he was still charging him, they shot him again. Butch delivered both shots to that, and Butch said that He heard something, he heard a pop, and he looked over and he thought his mom had shot him. But it was Don that shot Louise DeFeo with the thirty eight special. And then Butch said he shot her again to put her out of the misery. Now that is a flashlight that supposedly Bobby Kelski is the one that held another version of the story and Bobby Kelski was the one that put the shot in Louise to put her out of her misery. And I believe that's the story that Rick Osuna believes. But that flashlight would have fingerprints on it more than likely. This right here, this was Allison's room. The youngest daughter. She was shot. She was shot right in the door. Someone stood right there and shot her in the head, in the face. Actually, there was powder burns on Allison. Defe- uh, I'm sorry, Dawn DeFeo's nightgown, like she had fired weapons that night. That's a fact. Butch says she was involved. This is the boys' room. This is John and Mark. John's on the left. Mark's on the right. He has a wheelchair there because he fractured his hip in football. These are disturbing pictures. Very disturbing. There's no doubt about it. Going up the stairs. be two rooms and a bathroom. One is Butch's room. The other one is Don. According to Butch, which I believe we go in his room first, he has polka dot wallpaper because his dad asked him what he wanted. He said, hell, I don't care. You can put polka dots on it for all I care. I don't want to be there. It's also Big Ronnie gave him. According to Butch, he left to get Bobby Kelsky after they killed the parents. He needed help moving Big Ronnie. And he looked for Bobby Kelsky. He couldn't find him. And then when he gets back home, Bobby Kelsky's here. And he goes into, he finds the kids were dead and he goes into Don's room. And he, she said that she killed the kids. The gun was on the floor. He grabbed it. And he pistol, well, he hit her with a butt in the face of the rifle and then shot her. This is what Butch DeFeo says actually happened. As you go through this house and you go through the kids' rooms, and you can tell that Big Ronnie showed his affection through the money, he gave to the kids and what he spent on the kids this is Allison's room this is the 3D rendering of it and here's pictures of the actual room look at how rich this wallpaper looks it's quite impressive I think look at that looks like they didn't want for anything except for a loving relationship from their father that's Allison covered up all the family was in the same position there is evidence that they died outside of the beds there really wasn't a reason to blame anybody else or do any more work that all the family was dead whether Don helped or not so supposedly Don killed all the kids in between the, in between John and Mark there's a way to test that really easy You take her height in the trajectory of the bullet, and you would know if she did it or not. Plus, the stains, the gunpowder on her nightgown. No doubt, it was a night of hell.
3: Hello? Hello? Is this Tara? hi how are you
0: i'm good and you very good all right i'm excited about talking with you about amityville
3: I am but i i gotta tell you like i'm not a, a believer in the mob thing You're or not? any supernatural
0: okay good because i'm not because a believer
3: I, I i like i told this to heidi already too i i'm just not into that
0: well i'm a I'm a believer in the facts I have, and I don't mean the facts other people give me, but what I actually get. Okay. So I know what I know to be true, and what I don't know, um, you know, I don't know to be true. But, um, so I'll tell you where I'm coming from with this. Is it okay if I record this? It is a radio and video show. Sure. All right. So before before we start here, and uh, I'm going to time it for about 30, I'm going to time it for 30 minutes. So, here's where I'm coming from with this. I'm not interested in the supernatural aspect of it at all. That's, I mean, and as far as I'm concerned, that's two different stories, isn't it? You have... Actually, it's a story go, for go, me. No, no, you go ahead.
3: It's not a story for me. It was a tragedy. A lot of young people lost their lives, and as far as I can see, it was drugs.
0: Just drugs. Well, it was even more, trusted. even if it was drugs, which I'm not saying you're wrong. To me, it becomes a story when you have people, including Butch DeFeo himself, using the story to gain money and fame. He totally
3: did that.
0: And then after that happened, and this is the part where my interest comes in, this is why I'm talking to you specifically, is what it did to Amityville And the people that Uh, live in that neighborhood, that's the real horror, if you ask me. I can't imagine.
3: a beautiful neighborhood, a beautiful neighborhood, that usually tragedies happen, but like we usually say, pave the pavement, and in two years, it'll be different. This never happened here. Right. People come back all the time. They come back in date, the home around Halloween, the day of their death, it's very sad. There is no peace. Amityville has a rule that anybody that purchases that house, it is not allowed to make money off that tragedy. So no one could open a museum or anything like that or take tours or anything for that simple fact.
0: Which is good, very good.
3: It's a beautiful neighborhood, and something that happened in, 19, in the 1970s should not be still afflicting it today.
0: And it's afflicting it in a major way. How long have you lived there?
3: I've lived here, I'm going to say, 27 years.
0: Okay. How long have you lived in uh, Long Island?
3: Um, long Island, oh, um, let's see, 41 years.
0: Okay. So you've known about this story just about since the beginning or this it, tragedy, really.
3: It Yes. It's been—it's uh, a Long Island staple for forever. Like it's been since the day it happened. Everybody and I—I I myself, as a teenager, we took trips to see the house. Right. And little did I know that this town would become such a big place in my heart.
0: You know, the fact that it's still going on as strong as it was now, as far as people, people going there, doing some kind of horror pilgrimage to a house just blows my mind that it's still going on as strong as it is.
3: (laughs) It doesn't help. The media keeps putting things out and as soon as the media puts something out and then that's like open season for people.
0: The movies weren't even any good. No. They were horrible. I mean, if you you break down the first movie and I haven't seen it in years, but there's a red room. Okay. So what the guy is acting mean and he gets cold and it starts burning wood. Okay. So what? They're really in a, a cartoon pig with eyes through the through the window, okay, so what? Is that a reason right. to really terrorize the neighborhood?
3: I'm not even sure how many movies there are now, like there's I, like no. I
0: was going to ask you about that because I mean, I know you probably don't know, but did you know? I looked at this about an hour ago. Uh, I think it was on Amazon Prime. There are like six. Amityville horror movies out for the year 2021.
3: That's insane.
0: And they're all stupid looking. If I could, I'd like to hit a button and erase the ignorance about Amityville and what happened right.
3: there. I mean, I can suggest you coming to, you know, Amityville and seeing what a beautiful town it is and what a beautiful community it is.
0: I've seen pictures of uh, around Amityville and it does, it looks like an amazing place. Anybody would want to live there. It really does. Yeah. And, and especially the neighborhood, the house was in or in still is in, but I couldn't think of a better place to live. You're right there by the water. It's almost, you know, it's kind of country yet. It's, it's still in New York, you know, and it's close to everything there. I mean, it's amazing. No better place to live. In New York
3: t- feeling you get It's a small town feeling.
0: Is it a small town feeling? A-
3: feeling? It is absolutely.
0: So how close do you live to ocean Avenue?
3: Like three minutes. Oh wow. I'm very- um, my daughter attends a school that the children attended. Um, which is a Catholic school in our area. And I can only imagine how those people felt and how devastated they were. And it to be become such a mockery, it's just so very sad.
0: It has, yeah. And there's been several things that have happened. And at the time, this happened in 74, that was one of the most horrific things I'd ever heard of right at the time. And now there's other things that have been a lot worse if you look at them. But for some reason, this one is different. And the way it was framed by the media at the time was different too. You had the son that murdered his family, but it was an all-American family and a son on drugs that killed his family. Right. So that gave it the the air of any town in America that could have happened to. And really it was. And really it was.
3: I agree. A-, a tragedy can happen to anybody.
0: Absolutely. I can't imagine living there and having to deal with all that nowadays.
3: It's like when we have a we have a block that goes on the top of the blocks. It's called Montauk highway. When any substantial date comes around, you have like traffic jams. This year, the homeowner did it right. And instead of the people just, gawking and haunting it. They put a table out for Halloween and gave coffee out to everybody.
0: That's a good idea. That,
3: that's the neighborhood vibe though. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that is how it is here.
0: If you could undemonize the house. So you, when we started, you told me that you believed that it didn't have anything to do with the mafia. It didn't have any anything to do with the devil, although I'm sure he'd be glad to take credit. Right. Yeah.
3: I, do I believe that the mafia was there?
0: No, no. Um, what, what do you? What is the know. sense of the? What does the town think about? You know, the the tragedy.
3: I think everybody just thinks it's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. That it was something that was. You know, an awful thing that happened to this family. Right. Um, Do I know of any mafia connections? I don't. But if there was anything, I don't believe it had to do with their deaths. And I strongly believe that as much as I believe that it wasn't the devil.
0: Oh, no. I don't believe it's the devil either.
3: Believe me, I have, I have seen people tell the story of, we have a street called Ketchum. They say he was an owner of Indian slaves and he had an underground, um, there was a grave site and the Amityville house actually was not where it is located today. Some woman who originally owned it, wanted to be near her family. So they picked up the house, even back in the 1800s, and moved the house. Um, And then they said that that was an Indian burial ground, and that's why this is all happening.
0: Never heard that one. So they're saying, or some people are saying, it was originally on an Indian burial, burial ground but moved.
3: No, no, no. It was
0: moved to one
3: move to an Indian burial ground.
0: Okay. I haven't heard that one. There's even an Amityville horror movie out from 2021 about zombies in Amityville.
3: Yeah. Great zombies in Amityville.
0: I mean, it turns, Great. it's turned from the house to the whole city. That's what these, these new movies are are doing.
3: Yes, they are and then you had the warrens who never made anything better.
0: Oh no. That's that's one thing I do with my investigations and I, I search for the why, the motivation. And that goes from the warrens to Ronnie DeFeo to some other things I've investigated the Taylor's business. And uh, that's mainly uh-huh. the thing I'm most interested in is is in the why, the motivation behind what they did and you can see what I've I've met Lorraine Warren, and um, I worked with her on something in, you know, I think it was 2000. But uh, you look at their motivation and people go there, they're not going to say, oh, you know, this is clear. Right?
3: Right. They're absolutely. not plumbers.
0: They're not plumbers. That being said, if she did feel anything was there, that doesn't have anything to do with, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the tragedy that happened there, does it? No. At least I don't think so.
3: No, so, absolutely not. So... um was quite a you know bit of lives that were lost that had beautiful futures. And that's what people should focus on, not the devil made them do it.
0: Right. So, what is your take on when the Lutzes lived there and their book after that?
3: What I believe, yes. they bit on a sacred shoe. And they needed an out.
0: And initially, and I'm still on that initial stage. That's what I thought, too. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, they were there 28 days. They had, what, 30 days, 60 days on the loan. Um, I have court documents from them and statements from their, the attorney, Weber, DeFeo's attorney, that did the deal with them to sell the house, and I had the paperwork on that. And uh, he also worked on the original book, The Amityville Horror, with them. Yeah, what a
3: joke that that is, too.
0: I mean, it's not even a good book, but I guess it was enough because it was, it hit that virality, you know, that some people have now in videos and stuff. It was, um, the story was still in the news. You know, it gets, it gets published around the anniversary of the tragedy and reports to have more of the story. Of course, we, we go to the motivations and we have Weber and, uh, Weber and, you know, that couple wanting to make money off of it. Um but I also have real evidence that they were into the, they were into the occult. The cup, the Lutzes that moved in there. Really? Yes. And they knew Ronnie DeFeo before the murder. They were acquaintances, loose acquaintances with, with him. And I do believe that to be a fact. Um, so I believe that is a fact and the fact that they were in over their heads with the bank and that he was into the occult. And most of the stuff in that book and in that first movie is complete rubbish. But you put scary music on it and you make the house look dilapidated, which it never was. You put dark shadows in there and uh, fake the walls oozing. And then, um, yeah, it looks scary when you're watching the movie theater, especially with that creepy music. But really is a red room and, you know, the husband being mean, all of a sudden... Well, he was heavily into cocaine at the time. I can say that. Go ahead.
3: There was no red room and there's no red room now. And there was never a red room.
0: I have uh, pictures in the house. There was a red storage. It's more like a storage cubby under the the stairs.
3: Yeah, but anybody can paint that to take a picture.
0: (laughs) Well, it was old paint, but that's all it was. It was old paint on the red room. His, his son at the time, George loves son that lived there. He said that, yeah, there was a little red cubby underneath the stairs, uh, because we were there one day and my dad said, Hey, you're going to store your toys on here. I got blue paint or red paint. Which one do you want to use? So they used red paint. Well, what does that have to do with horror?
3: No. Or anything
0: demonic. You have a red room. Actually, if you look behind me right now, you're going to see red. <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything.
3: I got to say also, like I've known somebody that's lived in the house and they've even teared apart her tragedy to make it become the Amityville horror tragedy. Her brother was lost in nine 11. Oh Lord. And now it is because of the Amityville horror house. Wow. It's really sad. It really is.
0: It is sad. So you look at that house today, you don't get any bad feelings looking at that house and drinking that cup of coffee on Halloween.
3: No, I see it as a beautiful, beautiful home. Am I going to say that I would live in it? Probably not.
0: It would be hard to live in a place that you knew a tragedy like that happened. Right. I think it might be all in your mind, but it seems like it would be hard.
3: Yeah. That's how I feel. I don't know if I could feel comfortable, but if people do, it's their home and it's a gorgeous home.
0: It's beautiful. I'm not
3: saying it's for the retail value of anything at all. I'm really not. I think that if you can live in it, good for you. Oh, yeah. Doesn't go for the price it is for no reason.
0: Does it still go for cheaper after all these years?
3: I find that to be hysterical. Like the home is valued at almost a million dollars. And people somehow feel, oh, when somebody pays nine something for the house, oh, they're getting it cheaper. But they're not looking at the market either.
0: Right. Yeah, it seems like nowadays uh, maybe getting it cheaper would have worn off by now, I'm sure.
3: Right. Definitely. Definitely. There's a lovely family in there they've never experienced anything.
0: From a motivation standpoint too, and the Lutz is dealing with Weber, I have to license things all the time, like the pictures and different things I use in the videos and the articles Mm -hmm. I write, those have to be licensed. And uh, you can't just take a picture of someone else's house and make a and do anything with it or write a story about it and uh, not owe them some royalties. But if you change the story completely and you notice they change the look of the house from the way it originally looked, you have a different story and really a different house. So then someone else, then you have a company that universal, I think it is that owns the name of Amityville horror, the series, you know,
3: but you saw the yeah. people
0: there in Amityville paying for, you know, hell, it might as well be nightmare on Elm street something that never happened.
3: Yeah, that's what I really because it's not it's not being told by the truth. And that's the sad part. If it was the truth, we could see something, but it's not being he's not it's not being distributed as the truth.
0: What if I were to tell you the truth was stranger than fiction? The actual court documents, the investigation, the evidence is actually Stranger Than the Fiction. But, like you said, no devil involved. There's a stranger book. Than fiction. Go ahead.
3: Stranger Than Fiction. I I could probably see it.
0: Life normally is Stranger of, Than Fiction.
3: Because of the mockery it's made of.
0: Oh, Yeah. I mean, just the fact that this is still a big deal in the... I, I saw a video yesterday of somebody. Um, they're almost giving a tour of how to tour the Amityville house and not get in trouble. I thought, you know, this is so wrong. You know, there's this, there's a, the pictures on the streets, no parking and how to drive through, where to stand to get pictures. I'm like, this is horrible. And there's still well, a lot I'm, of people doing it.
3: Uh, there's no... There's parking during the day. There's no parking at night. And they do that for street cleaning and stuff. It has nothing to do with the Amityville Horror House. That is the village code.
0: Right. It's a good code.
3: Right. So when you have the street sweeper coming about, you don't have to... Deal with the cars on the street It's really a simple Most villages have it But Amityville has it So it's odd
0: I don't know It seems like somebody could walk by And see a snicker bar on the street And they would blame it Blame it on the right. devil in front of that house There's a man His name's Rick Osuna He wrote a book uh, I think it came out in 2013 uh, it's called Reinvestigating the Amityville Horrors, and he he was researching this book for for eight years, and it's filled with actual factual evidence about about really what really happened, and it has interviews in there from. Do you ever heard of Geraldine DeFeo? Yes, I
3: have. She was his wife in jail.
0: Yes, they actually she was married before he went to jail.
3: Oh. Right, and she knew the
0: family she knew the family, she was involved in the production of this book, so she helped him find evidence to collaborate the things that Bush said when they were he was interviewing him. but this book it's a really good book, and I'm not trying to sell it. I'm just letting you know it's a good book no, I've, I've checked the I've things read out. you've read it, Yes, okay, so you know what I'm talking about yeah, this is not that the mob was involved as far as they did it. Other than that, this is probably one of the most interesting mob stories I've ever heard.
3: Uh, um, You know, what his father did really had nothing to do with their death. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't believe anything...
0: Other than the way he raised his family and treated his family. I investigate a lot of murders, and time after time, the father abused the family.
3: Right, I'm sure.
0: It doesn't have to do with, it has to do, you want to blame one thing, you blame the choice of Ronnie. That's it. That's it, and that's all. So you've read this book. Did you like it?
3: Did I like it? I found it. A little bit laughable uh-huh. as I'm reading it. Um,
0: what part seemed laughable? In that,
3: book, in that book, they were trying to make it seem like he was innocent. He did do the murders, but he had no other choice but to do them.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. I I see what you're saying, and I agree with you. Well, that's the way he was trying to frame it, right? For sure.
3: And then his sister committed the murder. Uh, uh, so hard.
0: That is. I don't. I don't want Amityville to continue to be seen as a dark and creepy place. I mean, well, I mean, they did. Uh, it's not the only movie. There also was what Jaws was supposedly in Amityville too. Yeah. Nobody (laughs) doesn't stop anybody from swimming.
3: Right. Okay. It was nice speaking to you.
0: All right. So in closing, if you had to say one thing to the people who look at this tragedy and think there was something demonic behind it and continue to, you know, negatively influence Amityville or the filmmakers that still think it's some big joke, What would you like to say to those people?
3: Come one day to Amityville and know the truth.
0: This film is dedicated to the memory of the DeFeo family that lost their lives that night. We have Allison. We have Dawn DeFeo. John, the youngest. We have Mark, who was very athletic, played football. We have Louise, every account, she was a good woman, a loving mother. Big Ronnie. Did the devil have anything to do with the DeFail family murders? Did the devil have anything to do with the haunting of the Lutz family, whether George invited him or not? We want to know what you think. I think the devil's M.O., his goals, what he does is steal, kill, and destroy. In the DeFeo murders and the Lutz horror, I see stealing, killing, destruction, and a major deficiency of love. Definitely, the devil was involved. The devil knocks. Don't let him in. Don't even look out the window.
3: to subscribe, smash the bell, let your journeys begin, and if not, feck out of her, piss fucking right off.